Mark Johnson, thank you. Cheers, Rami. Excited, first one. Guest number one. <laughs> um, I was. Uh, I took. My, I took my father to a uh, just on the on the point of dairy and and stuff. I took my father to a functional uh, doctor oh, called yeah. Evergreens. Um, I just noticed that he was kind of like you know. His, his, it wasn't that his memory was kind of going. It was just that I noticed he would get frustrated with his ability to recall memory. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, this doctor. Zero prescription of any medical drugs. Doesn't believe in any any medical drugs. But started talking about fillings in your teeth. Uh, based on my father's age, you know, at seventy seven, they used mercury fillings. So every time you chew down on these fillings, they release a little bit of mercury into the brain. Um, spoke a lot about sleep, diet, and uh, you know, for someone like my father at seventy seven. This is all complete news to him, right? He, he says, uh, he says, you know, I have a great diet. I have lots of fruit. I, you know, eat lots of rice, and you know, it was. And, and this is the first time I've ever seen a medical doctor turn around and go, "Unfortunately, you know, you're just a product of of, of commerce, um, and that it's all been a trick." And uh, and he spoke about dairy, and he spoke about a whole series of things. And uh, mate, my dad's fully on board. Is he? He's done all the tests. He's done these tests like these pyrol tests, parasite tests, mm-hmm. um, spitting in these tubes to take a look at uh, his, his ability to manage cortisol. Um, so we're, we're going through it. But, um, yeah, it was, it's fascinating. It's been a, it's a fascinating journey so far. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been good. So your dad's been having memory issues and he's put it down to the, the dairy and the gluten. I think, the dairy, things. the gluten, the mercury, look, a whole series of things. Okay, um, but but this doctor's approach has been completely functional, all about sleep and how you manage stress. And, um, and you know, my dad's still good. Like uh, it's just a matter – like I've realised through talking to my friend David that you you have a window of time and you have to seize that window of time because once it's gone, you can't – it's really, really difficult to get it back. And uh, so I'm really happy that – my father's completely on board. That's great. And for me, it's kind of said, you know, well, uh, I mean, uh, if I can also change some things and like, because, you know, it really fundamentally means what we do today can make such a huge difference by the time we turn 70. Totally. Like, man. That's right. I mean, it's it's down to personal decisions, right? We all know what's well. I think people of our generation know what's good for them. It's just a case of following through and having the, um, the presence it. of mind and... You know, I could have had a black coffee, but I know it's way better for me than having a, you know, a, uh, a dairy coffee, but um, I'm weaker. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> You're stronger in many ways. <laughs> um, talking about going to 77, dude, I mean, what is going on in the world? Yeah, interesting times, isn't it? Um, You've been, uh, uh, like a bit about your journey. I mean, you were a superstar salesman, trading FX, um, managing some of your client risks. I mean, fundamentally, that's what you were doing, right? Managing your client's currency risk. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah, so you know, I've worked in financial services, foreign currency for about twenty years now. So a long time, but yeah, I mean, you know, day to day managing client exposures, um, trying to save small and medium sized companies, your money on their exchange transactions when they're paying their international suppliers, and just basically doing a better job and a more efficient job and, than what the banks provide. So. Yeah, my journey started in the UK and then I came over here to Sydney and um, set up a global, an office for a global company and then ended up working there for eight years and then um, setting up my own company with a bunch of partners and um, recently sold out of that, um, you know, six months ago. So 
I've had a lot of time to kind of, um, you know, digest that. It's been six months? And it's been six months, yeah. So I've been really interested. So, um, like, have you found that your appetite for activity, information has changed now that you're not in such a structured, you know, workplace environment where, you know, you got to conform to a model? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when you're working nine to five, your focus is, I mean, I've always had an interest in financial markets and that still governs a large part of your day, you know, doing the research and providing general advice for clients. Um, and, um, but yeah, you know, stepping back from that and having a lot of time to myself, you become a bit more indulgent with the information you source and you have a bit more time to, you know, look at what sort of, <clears throat> where you're sourcing your information, what it means, um, you know, and not so much embracing that the popular narrative that we get fed through the existing media channels. Um, finance is no is no different to anything else. Um, but, you know, we have the luxury of being able to, you know, open up your laptop and go to any other website you want, follow whoever you want on podcasts, follow, subscribe to a YouTube channel. And you can really tailor that information. Um but, you know, finding decent sources who look at, um, you know, empirical evidence, you know, very strong research base, look at the data, form hypotheses, and then, you know, change those conclusions that they draw, especially, in, you know, you mentioned before, you know, what's going on right now, it's crazy times, and there's a lot of disinformation out there. Um, and, you know, that's been held in, I suppose, with the advent of Donald Trump, lowering the political standards, I would say. Um, it's funny how you say the advent of Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like uh, we've manifested a personality type out of this character. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like, you know, you could, uh, the advent of Donald Trump. <laughs> Look at Boris Johnson. Yeah. Mini -me, isn't it? He, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mate, uh, but, I mean, I wonder if uh, the world is coming to a time where we're really receptive to characters like that. They're very bullish. They're very persuasive. They're very charismatic. They uh, and they understand the levers in 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 voting to be able to man like maneuver themselves into positions of power. Yeah, they do. I think people underestimated Trump. Um, he, you know, with I forgot the TV show that he was doing when he was in the boardroom. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Um, Picking businesses and yeah, and that real right. that real time in front of people face people's faces. Um, you know, I think a lot of people. Uh, you know, found that to be quite appealing, you know, a man in charge and that whole throwaway rubbish TV, you know, people just are so into it oh, these days, completely. but they can't. I don't think a lot of people see through the bullshit. I mean, Donald Trump played a great game. He's very more strategic than I think people give him credit for. But it's interesting, he used a company called Cambridge Analytica to mm -hmm. help him get elected. Yep. And that whole, you know, can of worms that opens on social media and advertising politically um, you know, directing certain adverts towards, mm. you know, swing voters. I think he was very savvy in who he employed to actually get him elected. Mm -hmm. And then once he was in power, you know, he's almost justified his actions and motives. And he's got, he's never had any interest in telling the truth. And unfortunately, at this pivotal time in history, and that's the way we will look at it in 10, 20 years' time, in my view, with the coronavirus. Um, I think we'll look back and it's not just Donald Trump, but a lot of OECD leaders, you know, they're very much mismanaging what's happening at the moment. And um, it's a bit of a rabbit hole to go down. But Donald Trump is probably the least favourable president 
who's in charge at this point in time and Pence, who's his deputy, has not got a clue what he's doing. Um, I think a lot of leaders either have the right information and either, you know, make these decisions by fault or it's, you know, it's preconceived. This is what we're doing irrespective of what we know. This is how we're going to handle it. Um, but, yeah, Donald Trump's an interesting case, that's for sure. I mean, it's 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 fascinating because, I mean, everybody would, I mean, with, with the right amount of money and the right amount of influence have access to Cambridge Analytica. Um, I wonder whether he perceives to understand the truth as he sees it and wants to communicate it. So, you know, t technically to him it is the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I know about sources of information that, attract your attention is you really do look at the, the quality of, of where the information is coming from and how, how uh, I suppose, would you say unbiased that information is. Um, you test a lot of the sources. You make sure that um, – and you're very, you're very I suppose, um, cautious of listening to the media. Mm. You, mean you can't you can't get away from, you know, the media who, you know, have, well, everyone has a slant on something. It's quite unusual to find uh, – you know, a journalist, um, uh, you know, someone who's doing a podcast, not to have a slightly jaundiced view of certain aspects because your your community, your cultural beliefs, they all frame your opinion. So you're going into things lopsided anyway. But, um, you know, just to go back to this coronavirus, you know, finding someone that can cut through the bullshit. Mm. Um and there's so many confusing messages in the press and the news and the media. I think people to a large degree switch off to it and just entrust governments, corporations to have their interests of, uh, you know, in mind, which, you know, as history would probably tell us, that's not particularly true to a large degree. Mm. I mean, you can skate over it as much as you want. But, um, yeah, I think researching your um, who you're listening to, um, what the background is, what their qualifications are, um, where they've come from, um, what kind of sources are they using? Uh, is it raw data? Is it peer-reviewed? You know, these kind of questions. Because I think to a large degree, um, you know, people, um, they believe what they want to believe. They have a moral sense of beliefs, you know, and a lot of beliefs are, they're not based on evidence. They cherry-pick data. Um, uh, you know, not a lot of people really have a fundamental understanding of the core issues, I don't think. Um, like to say we do, you know, but mm. um, what has been your source of information for Corona? Because I know you've been keeping track of this. And mm. It's a guy called Chris Martin. He um, he has a company a website called Peak Prosperity, and um, he does a daily market update. Um, and he's an ex uh, Fortune 200 CEO or VP, I think. And he's got a background in uh, epidemiology and biology and a few other degrees. He's pretty well qualified and. He did pretty well, moved to the country with his family and decided to uh, monetize his knowledge and um, essentially give us the the changing facts as they happen. And he will, almost like a business proposal, you mm -hmm. know, here's my hypothesis, here's the data, this is where I'm drawing it from. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to be correct all the time, but I will give you my reasonings for it. I will mm -hmm. change my conclusions as the data changes. Mm -hmm. And then he picks he picks apart the the response of various countries and leaders, and really gives it to you in a very uh, in an uncomplicated manner, and highlights not only what we can be doing individually, 
but you know, working in part of your community, preparing for what's going to happen. Um, but um, yeah, he seems a fairly unbiased kind of opinion type of person. And so, um, as I talk to you right now, I know I know you wear contacts, but um, mm. you're wearing these uh, slick Oakleys uh, at the moment. <laughs> um, completely these retainer. These are a tenner from Bunnings. Really? Yeah. Decorators' so, glasses. Oh, right. So you don't get any paint in your eyes. Well, no. sorry that I've uh, brought you into a <laughs> podcasting studio. It's if you spit on me. <laughs> <in the table. laughs> so help me understand the basis of, uh, you know, hygiene and the virus as you know it from... Um, well, wearing, wearing these without a mask is pretty futile, really. Um, there's various things you can do, but the... Um, the research is that masks don't do a great deal, you know, for a large part. It helps you be aware of touching your face. It's a warning for other people. You might get four or five hours out of a good mask, a N95 mask. Um, but it's just being aware of, you know, coronavirus can live on surfaces for up to um, nine hours, I believe, maybe longer. Um, so, you know, taking precautions in terms of what you touch, keep your social distancing, keeping your distance from people, because coronavirus is spread through, um, essentially the virus attaches to water molecules in your lungs. When you breathe that molecule, the water uh, essentially, it travels on these tiny aerosols of water, depending on how hot it is and how humid it is, will depend on how far that travels. And um, yeah, and more humid temperatures, generally over 80%, it becomes, that, that water molecule becomes too heavy and it drops to the ground. So you're far more likely to catch it in colder environments. And there's a there's a sweet spot there. Um, but, yeah, social distancing, you know, you can't really, you can't stamp out all the risks. But, you know, I'm spending a lot more time at home. I'm not going to busy supermarkets, at, you know, at peak times, staying away from large gatherings. Because this is coming around and it's coming around pretty quick. And what I think a lot of people don't realise with, SARS COVID-19 whatever they call it is that there will be a point in time um, where it starts to pick up quite quickly and we're following Italy's exponential chart man tell me what's what's going on there like I'm hearing savage news mm. I mean I'm I'm keen to buy the 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 uh, Fiat Abarth 595 I'm hoping they're going to get cheaper because of this <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's. Um, I think you know. I think products will be discounted at some point. But yeah, Italy seems to have caught. They've split the SARS into two strains, an S and an L strain, and they've got the more virulent version. So, what's happened in Italy is it's spread pretty quick. Um, they were pretty slow to shut down borders. Um, once they realised that their numbers were growing exponentially, and um, you know, gathering pace quite quickly. Obviously, they've closed down schools and universities to begin with, and then it was all the northern region, Lombardy, Veneto, and the, the northern sort of Milan region. Once they realised it was getting out of control, then obviously then, then they shut the whole country. But what you have there is, I think there's over 15,000 cases now, and you have not just old people, but um, so I've been reading from uh, an ICU manager and a hospital director, people on the ground there, is that the, the hospitals are overrun. Um, they are treating people based on, um, well, they're basically letting people die because they can't treat everyone. Um, so they're making a choice in terms of who lives and who dies, which is quite concerning, but totally overrun. The staff are all getting it. 
staff then come under pressure. They leave off their shift. They can't come back. They have to be isolated. They can't go and see their families. So I think if Australia and the UK and the US followed that chart and we were where Italy was about seven days ago, worryingly, if we have that same reaction, then our, all of our public services are going to be flooded under the pump. It's going to be panic, catastrophe. It's going to be big, big problems. And I don't think um, a lot of countries are prepared for what's potentially going to happen. And let me ask you, like, I mean, um, pandemics are, I mean, in terms of uh, the percentage of population that has seen a pandemic mm. flare out like this, um, it, is it only the, the, the ageing population that have probably been around long enough to see a similar thing, whether it be the Spanish flu or, I mean, yeah. I, don't, you know I don't know. Um I think the Spanish. I think the Spanish flu was the last pandemic. Was it? I don't think there's been another one. I could be wrong, but um, the World Health Organization changed their how they classify a pandemic about ten days ago. I mean, this guy um, Chris Martin has been calling, has been saying it's going to be a pandemic about two months ago, um, based on the the data we were getting out of China and the, the severe reactions over there. You know. Follow what people do, follow people's actions, not what they say. Mm. The minute they started building hospitals and preparing mm -hmm. for the worst, mm -hmm. that's when you knew there was something kind of up. Sure. Um, but yeah, the Spanish flu, I think, was the last one. I mean, that was that killed 50 million people, and there was 1.3 billion people on the earth at that point. Right. No airplanes. And that went around the world two and a half times. And, and there were no airplanes at that time? No, sort of Second World War. I think there was First World yeah. War. Sorry, I think there was a few planes. Wasn't anything I think like they were dropping this. bombs out of the plane by hand in the First World War. <laughs> <laughs> you believe it? <laughs> um, but yeah, that pandemic. Um, it the first time it came around, it killed about four or five million, and the second time it came around, it had mutated and it killed forty million people. So the second, if you got it a second time, you were toast. So this is why I think the governments need to be taking more accountability. And again, it goes back to this point of, you know, political leadership. You know, are the people getting the right information? No, they're not. Because we get fed this, you yeah. know, we get fed the bullshit. We get fed how they want to handle it because they have, governments and leaders have this dichotomy. Do they keep the economy stimulated or do they save the people? I think they can just written off pensioners. They're very expensive at the same time, you know, you're costing us a fortune, but mm. you're getting, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one to manage, but this is certainly unprecedented and it's going to create a lot of instability. You've already seen the financial market carnage. Yeah. So help me understand this. So, um, I was talking to, cause you know, I'm, um, my firm is connected to another firm and, um, there's about, I don't know, 40 or so people there and, you know, we're just sitting on standby. Meanwhile, I mean, things have really accelerated in the last 48 hours. Mm. I know that there's a couple of law firms in the city that have, you know, that have like a workforce of 2000 people that have all been told to work from home. Yeah. Um, about a week ago, a couple of firms and clients I know were setting up their staff to all be able to work from home. Yeah. Um, thankfully we're already geared for that. Uh, but I'm almost trying to work out. So obviously the panic is, is well in, in advance of the true case of how serious this is, right? Which is important, I imagine. Yeah, I think people are now starting to take it a bit more seriously. But, you you know, they, they cancelled the Formula One yesterday. Um, in the UK, they're still having huge gatherings. There was Cheltenham races, there was a million people in a horse race. 
not actually in the horse race, but they're mm. in, in the paddock. Spectators. Yeah, all shoulder to shoulder. Um, countries have different ways of trying to handle it. But I think, you know, be prepared. Don't panic. It's the worst thing we want you to happen. But, you know, be prepared and make um, plans. Be cautious around your parents. Um, you know, we know how virulent this thing is. Um, it's got an R not rating of between two and a half and four and a half. What's that? Um, the the R not apparently. Not look, I'm not a scientist, but from what I've read and heard, it's the the amount of people you essentially pass it on to. So the higher the R not, the more um, likely it is it's going to spread quickly throughout the population. I think Spanish flu was. Um, in fact, I don't know the Spanish flu numbers, but this is a pretty virulent virus, as in it spreads easily, asymptomatically, so you don't have to be showing any symptoms to be able to spread it. I was looking at a report the other day and there was a couple of kids that had it in their throat and it was 10,000 times the virulence that they were expecting. Wow. Yeah. Like it's, it's being passed around, but... Mm. Yeah, you know, you're seeing panic in markets. You're, you're seeing people panic by toilet roll for some bloody reason. You yeah. know, I think I prefer to have some food rather than not be able to wipe my ass. Um, Mark, what's your philosophy on um, uh, what is it when you when you get those injection shots? Like, if you've got kids that are going to school, they get like a shot that kind of makes them vaccines. A vaccine. Um, I mean, different people have different opinions about vaccines. Mm. Um, what's your What's your philosophy on being vaccinated against something? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, um, I have my reservations, but I would it wouldn't stop me getting vaccines. You know, for you know, for, I don't know how many years, but in certainly you know recent medical history, they have stopped millions of people getting sick. Look at smallpox. Um, you know, you could I think two brothers somewhere in the I don't know whereabouts in the world, but one was injected with. A vaccine, the other one didn't, and you, you know that obviously the effects of smallpox, how it, mm. well, you blister all up on the outside and also in the inside, it's horrible. So, you know, all, all, all the vaccines generally are good. I was going to go to Kenya, but I didn't go coincidentally because of this um, SARS virus, but I had all my injections. You know, I don't want to get typhoid or diphtheria or dengue fever or some bullshit disease from a mosquito. Like, I will take them. But I think when, I think that there's outliers. And I think some kids do get affected. I think it can cause autism um, in a very small amount of cases. Um, you know, I had a client that spoke to me about his two kids. He had, he had a vaccine. I think he had six in one. Like they try and cram them all into one. Vaccine. Yeah, that's what they do these days. And then they try to kind of, um, yeah, they manage the volume, but they bring them all together. They so bring that- them all together and they're highly toxic, full of heavy metals. If you're immunocompromised to begin with, can smash you around, and some I think some kids do have bad effects, but for the most part, it's the it's the greater good. You know, I think the world would be a worse place if we didn't have vaccines. That's for sure. And do you think that um, the world is responding with um, mechanisms? You know, whether it be some social responsibility mechanisms, or whether it is just their financial mechanisms. Um, do you think we're the, like the, these political leaders are taking full responsibility for what's going on and taking no. the right – no. Definitely give give me your views. Well, I mean, look, Donald Trump talks out of his ass most times. Um, uh, I mean, he will have advisors, right? He's, he's, a, he's privy to the information, but they just choose to handle it in a certain way. 
um, in his office, essentially, he's, I suppose he's not above the law, but he's um, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to do if there's a national emergency. You know, he can release funds to states, billions of dollars to states and to health companies um, who, you know, act in a certain way to try and control and, and stem the disease. But in the US, it's the most worrying case out there. They've done the, the least of any country to stem this. You know, they've only taken, I think only a week ago, they'd only taken 400 tests. They're not set up to do it. Um, they haven't been testing people. The only way you get tested is if A, you've been overseas into one of these affected countries or B, if you've been in direct contact with someone that had COVID-19. So it's quite clear it's being passed around the community. But Donald Trump will get away with it, as all presidents do, because they're you know, someone else take, passes the buck and gets blamed on somebody else. But I think over the course of the next you know, couple of weeks, I think you'll have double the amount of cases. Um, it's not being tested in the community. There'll be huge ramifications for it. And he may take the fall for this one. Yeah. Because he's been boning on about how good the economy is. And now it's collapsed over 20%. The US markets are in official bear territory, which means that it's recession territory. This could turn into a, a depression, not just a a recession. Not just a recession. All right, so help me understand this. So um, what do the financial markets indicate about this pandemic? Well, it's it's gone from a case of um, markets were trading at all-time highs. Um, a lot of that has been stimulated by central bank quantitative easing, which is where the central banks funnel money to commercial banks. Um to help them lend to the, the, the wider economy and to, to businesses. So to the availability of liquidity of cash, that's the main thing. If, if credit markets freeze up and companies can't lend to each other and companies can't roll over debt obligations and interest payments, then you'd have a lot of defaults, you know, maybe, if, I don't know, a tenth, a fifth of companies would go under. I think one-tenth of companies in the US operate as zombie companies where they can't afford to pay off the interest on their loans with their normal cash reserves or their ongoing um, business operations. So there's a lot of companies on the brink, a lot of sovereign debt, and governments hold trillions of dollars of debt. And essentially, this money's created out of thin air by central banks. And governments issue the debt, central banks print it, and then that money's distributed into the, into the, the wider economy. But I think you're seeing panic now. So markets have crashed because investors are now starting to realise that once this COVID-19 spreads, which it is doing, there's quarantines, big economic blocks shut down. China was offline for six to seven weeks, and that accounts for 20% of global growth in China. So you know, these supply, a supply shock like this has huge knock-on effects to the global economy because it's so interrelated, mm. supply chains. Um, Where does Australia fit in this whole picture of the global economy? Um, I suppose we're a minnow, really. I mean, we, you know, we're not a huge operator in terms of volumes, but Australia holds a lot of debt. There's a lot of sovereign debt. Um, Australia banks are at the mercy of overseas debt markets, interest rates. So what's happened is when you could previously stimulate the economy, like in 2008 in the financial crisis, you had the banks being able to lower interest rates, mm. which would mean you'd have more money to Coming spend because you get reductions on your mortgage and you know your interest payments on your credit card aren't as high, so on and so forth, and it filters through to the real economy. Um, but 
Australia, I don't think, has gone far enough. Um, you know, I think Scott Morrison um, mishandled the fire, the huge fires that we saw, yeah. the drought, you know, the water problem we've got in this country. But I think massively he needs to clamp down on more so on social gatherings, big events where people are, are accumulating. Um, but I think ultimately it could be a bit of a rocky road. Um I think there's going to be more fiscal stimulus required. The economy's going to grind up. You're already seeing huge losses for tourism, airline companies. You know, massive amounts of companies import and they can't get their stock. They might rely on one component to complete their product, yeah. which they can't get. Yeah. And that's probably affected you in the insurance game as well. Oh, it? absolutely. I mean, people in retail that um, have uh, a really good CBD footprint in uh, across Australia who are, you know, I've got clients that might have representation in maybe over a hundred little spots across CBD areas. I mean, they, they, they last two weeks ago, they were telling me they were experiencing about a 35 to 40% reduction Jesus. in turnover. Wow. And, and this, these are businesses that purely rely on foot traffic. And that was two or three weeks ago. Um, I'm seeing adjustments to sums insured that, are, you know, averaging 40 to 50% reduction in sums insured because of the slowdown. I've got uh, people that primarily rely on functions catering, like they're, they've, they're, they used to seat, you know, 90 people, they're now seating like 35, uh, you know. Interesting. Like, and these are, these are on their busiest nights. Um, they're getting calls from the banks asking them whether their business interruption insurance policies have any cover for these types of risks. So banks are starting to get a little bit concerned about businesses' ability to pay back loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I look at I look at our debt payments and uh, I'm seeing a massive slowdown in, in businesses' ability to pay back debt. Like if we were late on trying to collect payments for insurance premiums, we've pretty much got a lesser chance of collecting now. No businesses. I mean, I was getting calls yesterday from commercial property owners going, look, my tenants are really struggling to, to pay the rent. What have we got? What's our cover? And, you know, from a coverage perspective, uh, as far as I know, like when- Are, are a, they covered, like business interruption from something like a virus? Is that force majeure, is it? So, no. Um, force majeure is, a, as far as I know, it's a term used in, in marine uh, in marine kind of insurance policies. Okay. But most of the- um, most of the insurance coverage, uh, for if you've taken business interruption, um, business interruption normally requires physical property damage to trigger cover under your business interruption loss. And then from that perspective, you know, you get loss of gross profit, you get increased cost cover, but that's all, that's all based on you not being able to occupy your premises as a result of physical property damage. Right. Situation now is that the tip, if you've taken business interruption, you've typically got an extension called an infectious diseases extension, which requires a couple of things. It requires uh, that you've got an infectious disease that is um, recognised to be an infectious disease. Um, I'm not too clear on whether it needs to be a pandemic or not, but the fundamental exclusion there is that they will treat the cause of infectious disease as physical property damage, so long as it's not in connection with the avian influenza or anything in connection with the avian influenza. Right. Now this is I mean corona is a is a is a is a form of bird flu influenza <clears throat> as far as I know. Would you know much about that? Um it's I know it's a virus. Um 
a COVID virus, which there's several, SARS, MERS, it's the same family. Same family, um, yeah. Bird flu probably as well, but I'm not too sure. I, don't. I was watching Pandemic the other day, and, and as far as I know, like this is just another strand of influenza. Yeah. So fundamentally. It, it is, but it, it isn't influenza, right? That's what we've got to remember. Right. It's way more deadly. It transfers at something like 20 times the, the speed of influenza. Influenza doesn't kill, um, you know, middle-aged people. Uh, COVID doesn't touch kids, even though a few have died. But, um, yeah, it's way more deadly with influenza. See, this is, this is what we're having to deal with is authorities telling people it's just the flu. It's just influenza. It isn't. It's way more deadly. Um, but is it just deadly because we don't have immunity to it? Like- that's, that's one of the central things. There's no herd immunity. Yeah. So influenza, you know, as it's traveling through the populace, it might infect one in 10 people. But because no one's had this before, and if you take Boris Johnson's outlook where we'll just let it attack us and get it, we'll get it over and done with, just let it come out. That's, that's his policy, the dickhead. <laughs> let's just wait till it comes. And, you know, let's think about the economy. And the, the World Health Organization are also been very clear that their main um, their main objective is protecting the economy over people's lives. But yeah, it's again, it's the misnomer, it's the misrepresentation of what this is and the restricting of information, the restricting of data, the reporting, the inaccurate reporting of numbers, the lack of testing, the lack of knowledge from the general populace. And that's why everyone's so apathetic about it because they just get this message that it's just the flu. Well, yeah, sure, it might be. I mean, if you or I get it, we might be down for two or three days. Right, but if you had high blood pressure or hypertension, or you'd had cancer, or you'd had kidney failure or heart disease, you you might be in trouble. You know, it's, there's big implications here. And one thing's for sure: in, if, unless you're not taking the right precautions, and I think it's only a matter of time before you see an exponential jump in Australia, and we're not ready for it. You haven't seen anything yet on stock markets. You wait till the real panic happens. Tell me about stock markets. What's going on there? <laughs> I'm losing a bit of money. That's what's going on. <laughs> but, I mean, people still make money when, yeah. when pe- other people are losing exactly. money, Exactly, right? yeah. Well, you can short a market on the way down. How does that work? So <clears throat> on a CFD, a contract for difference, you're essentially making a bet that the um, you're, you're putting a position in the market which may be leveraged to give you a bigger exposure. And then you make or lose that portion that you're willing to risk, essentially, on the market falling. So you can bet on any market falling, the Dow, the SPX, the ASX 200, you know, coffee, you know, anything, commodities, gold, Bitcoin. Bitcoin's fallen like 50% the last two days, which is normally people would associate it as, you know, a lot of people associate it as a, a risk as a hedge, inflation hedge as a like gold, but yeah. it's not it's not working that way. Gold's okay. down as well. Everyone's selling everything because the moves in the, in the stock markets are so great. They're liquidating everything to pay off their margin calls. Mm-hmm. So everything's tanking at the moment. And crypto was always, I mean, cyber criminals use crypto, right? So like when they're holding you ransom to you know hacking your site, yeah. they use crypto. Um, yeah. But and I, I've done it. I've recorded a couple of podcasts with my friend Theo uh, about crypto and its ability to uh, outlive these fluctuations. Mm. Um, but 
as we say, it's just another. It's just another. It's just another stock. It's just another currency that everyone's trying to liquidate. Yeah, for the time being, yeah, because people are feeling the crunch because they've lost thousands, tens of thousands. You know, a lot of most people will have lost a lot of money, whether it be in your super or your own personal share portfolio. But you know, most people in the US don't hold stocks. You know, most people are getting by month to month on paying their bills and paying off their credit cards and having enough money to put food on the table. So it's only really the top. It sounds corny, but the top one percent of people that hold something like 60% of global stocks. So the minnows, the small players, still get affected. Um, a lot of pensioners are going to be pretty upset with the way things have gone. Because all of a sudden, you check your bank balance, you check your super fund now, and it's probably 25% down on where it has been. Um, but, you know, markets are all about greed and fear. One of those two. You either want to buy into something because you think it's going up and you get a little bit... You know, you see it's going up because you double down, you put more money in yeah. and you plan for the future or you're fearful that it might come off so you take your money out. But when panic happens, people make irrational decisions, you see. Yeah. It's not based on market fundamentals. People will pull money out in droves and sell everything because they're, they're concerned that their future um, is obviously in jeopardy, their financial future is in jeopardy. And But when they pull it out and they sell it, where do they put what is it? They just cash it out? Well, they, they would liquidate their assets and either buy bonds, government bonds, um, which work inversely to, into um, the stock market. Okay. Or they put it in cash, so you just have it in the bank. Or you might buy physical gold, for example, if you think the wheels are really going to fall off and that there's going to be systemic problems with the financial system. Then you would be looking for currency which you can exchange um, because your money is probably going to be tied up in the bank and you won't be able to access it because it right. will be shut down as they, yeah. tr as they try and fix the financial system. So you can then have your gold and, you know, I don't know, make teeth out of it or have coins and barter in that. But that's, you know, we're in, we're in the shit if that happens. I suppose people really kind of at this point in time um, when they see this, they kind of they kind of do a, do say where's the government's role in all this? Um, and yep. then I suppose if you were to ask, I mean, because I, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of business owners would say we're already heavily taxed as it is. I mean, the, the bigger the bigger players get taxed more. Um, you know, you have all these additional leverage tax positions as you get bigger and bigger and bigger. I suppose now, though, if you were to ask where is the government's role in all this, it takes tax to manage the levers that manage pandemics like this. It does. It takes tax revenue, balancing the budget um, and being able to access enough money on international debt markets to fund, um, you know, small businesses and at-risk at people, pensioners and people on welfare to be able to get, have enough money to actually pay their bills if they're starting to lose their jobs, right? Otherwise, the whole thing will, will claw up. Um, but I think what you'll probably see, this is my personal opinion, is that at some point people have to wake up because, you know, everyone's taken up with what they're doing day to day, right? You, you haven't got time to look at these bigger pictures. And shit, I can talk about it all day, but yeah. I'm not going to go out and make a bit of any difference. Yeah. You're either an activist or an inactivist. Mm. Um, but there's a there's a theory coming something called there's a theory called the fourth turning, which is where the pace and scope of change is a generational thing. So um, it generally lasts a lifetime. And there's there's four phases, which I can't remember the four phases, but um, the fourth turning is when uh, 
people lose their faith in institutions mm -hmm. because they've been lied to. They realize suddenly that they're not getting the right information and their lives are controlled, which we know we can do nothing about it. Yeah. But people get a good visibility on the fact that something like COVID, the pandemic, has been so mishandled. All of a sudden, you're losing family members. You're losing your job. Your quality of life goes down. You're going backwards. The loss of faith in institutions is potentially opens. And the next 20 years are mm -hmm. going to be so different to what we've had the previous 20 years. Yeah. And it's a generational thing. Um, you've only got to look at things such as, you know, um, average wages, which haven't been going anywhere. Um, quality of life for young people, millennials, is so different to when we were yeah. kids, right? Um, I feel quite lucky where we were brought up when we were. Um, but, you know, things like Hurricane Katrina, um, the 2008 financial crash, you know, it's that, it's basically people look at whatever happened in our, whatever happened last in our, whatever happened last is our expectation for what happens next. Yep. So um, the key liability is, is the tur those turning points in time. Hmm. So I think... Who knows? I mean, hopefully this will blow over and it's not as bad as I think it is. But if it's... But people will be changed, people, irrespective. People will be changed. They're talking about closing down Mount Victoria today. Apparently the Victorian Parliament, I forgot the state premier is talking about, um, what's it called? Not incubating, um, isolating social, dis social distancing so people stay at home. He's that concerned about it. He's almost getting people to stay at home and not come out at all. Everyone work from home like like what Italy's done. Yeah. But yeah. I think but I think it's, it's the lack of political will to make real change. They they tell they twist and turn and tell so many bloody fibs that yeah. it's you know, who's yeah. gonna listen? Yeah. Well I mean, you know, I was I was saying <laughs> We're all about, part of the system. I was saying about, you know, the integrity of information and uh, you know, if people start losing faith in what they're hearing and, and they, they lose faith in – I mean, they have to form their own viewpoint and choose a direction. Uh, it's just really interesting to determine, yeah, what direction this new – you know, the human race is going gonna, is gonna to take in terms of their direction, their, their receptiveness to information. I mean, will it be the end of media and all these media stories that get people all hyped up? Yeah, look, I don't think I don't think so, but it's a very interesting point. I think overwhelming change is possible. Um, whether the people are savvy enough to vote in the leaders who stand for real change, yeah, is a different issue. Um, I mean, Bernie stands Sanders in the U.S. Look what's going on at the moment with the election over there. It's looking like he's not going to get the nomination, but he stands for real change. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the political machinations of the Democratic Party are not allowing him to go forward and win. Um, but, you know, we can shape the future. We just have to have the right leaders with the right motivations. And Bernie, he didn't stand for anything too, uh, I don't think, anything too, um, what's the word here? Um, extreme. Extreme. You know, he wanted health care for everybody, mm -hmm. you know, like we have in Europe, like we have here. Mm. He wanted that. And there was four or five things that he wanted which would make a big difference to, to average Joe Bloggs, who's doing it pretty tough in the US. Um, but, you know, the authorities are hell-bent on lying to people, whether it be through economic data, which is manufactured, all the numbers are fuzzy. You know, inflation's running a lot higher than it is. Um, but the fact that inflation is so low um, is obviously great for business because you're essentially, if you're a business owner like you are, Rami, right, you have to 
theoretically increase people's wages with the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. So if the value of your money is going down by 5% each year, okay, um, which essentially the value of money is going down perpetually, then you could cut people's wages. But the fact, if inflation's rising and it's a high number, let's say inflation's at 5% a year, I'd expect to get a pay rise of 5% a year minimum, mm -hmm. right? But the way they measure um, inflation and GDP is so uh, far beyond the measures that we took, say, 20 years ago. It doesn't give you the real picture. Um, they use substitution. They use something called hed hedonics and I think it's geometric weighting. So they change the... Um, Sounds like how Trump got elected, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Just distort your way through Correct. it. Correct. Tell, you know... What is the truth? What information can you rely on? How do you, how do you, how do you price anything? How do you value anything? Well, that's right. I mean, the, the substitution thing is interesting. So inflation is going to be a basket of goods and how much that basket of goods, the price goes up in time. But what they do as opposed to recording the actual price... Okay, in a basket of goods, they substitute various goods that have inflated the most over the year. So when the price um, goes up, people switch to a more economic product. So for example, if the price of salmon has gone up 12% this year, for whatever reason, they would say, right, okay, um, we'll take salmon. And if the price has gone up over 10%. People aren't going to buy it. So we'll switch that out the basket of goods and we'll replace it with catfish. No way, man. Which is, say, a third of the price. But people are still going to buy salmon. They're not going to buy catfish, right? So that's one way they do it. Yeah, it's falsifying. Falsifying data. Um, and also hedonics where they adjust for quality improvement. So let's just say you buy a TV and it costs you $329 this year. Next year, it costs you the same amount of money, but the screen is a much higher resolution. So what they do, as opposed to saying, okay, well, there's no inflation there because the price is the same. Mm -hmm. They discount inflation for that improvement in the quality of the good, uh -huh. which is essentially a net gain for you. So they'll mark that price down to, say, $229 to account for that improvement. Right. So they're constantly trying to bring inflation down. So businesses don't have to pay people wow. more wages, wow. higher wage. And that has knock-on effects for debt markets. They want low interest rates as well because otherwise if interest rates go up, companies can't finance their debt. Mm. I'd be very surprised if interest rates went up um, over the course of the next 10 years, unless there's hyperinflation, there's a market, market breaks and it goes up somehow. It's definitely a macro view. I mean, because I don't, I don't operate on that on that view. Uh, but you know, it's it's the environment that we all live in, and it just gives you some perspective on on what potentially could be uh, something that we face as a real day to day impact totally. of life and business. Um, what's the what's the reserve? Uh, what's the Federal Reserve Bank done um, recently as a result of all this? Um, Federal Reserve have realized that well they've been quantitative easing has taken on a new name which is called the repo rate so they have to the central bank have to intervene in markets and basically print money or provide electronic money for banks to then on lend to companies um they were shrinking their balance sheet but because when they cut interest rates because there was a bit of a shock previously um they've had to continue with that and they're now pumping in 
it's not billions now, it's a trillion dollars that they've pledged to markets. How many zeros is a trillion, man? Christ, I don't even know. Nine, is it? Is it nine or 12? I don't know. It could be 12. Um, we'll come back to that one. Sure. <laughs> okay. So they're just pumping in superficial numbers to keep things afloat. Yeah, they're, they're creating money. They're issuing government debt. Um, because central, because commercial banks are struggling to lend to each other. Um, a bit of confidence has gone there because the bond market's gone a bit crazy. Um, with a view to then those banks then lending that money out in the real economy. But they're having to prop up markets, <clears throat> but they're in a position where they can't stop printing. Because again, that exponential growth, the economy has to be, the economy has to be getting bigger and you have to start, you have to continue to issue more debt for that exponential growth. Otherwise, the system collapses. So mm. they've backed themselves into a corner whereby if they turn the taps off, the whole thing falls down. Yeah. And you're looking at depression. Um, but there's big conjecture in the markets as to what this will do to the stability of the financial system in the long term. Um, but, you know, what does it mean practically for people like me and you? You know, we, no one's aware of this kind of yeah. financial perspective. You know, perspective. As long as they can, you know, get their food and have a good time and go to the pub and be with your family and do all that, mm. people don't really see it. But the system is close to creaking as it's ever been. Absolutely, yeah. And like you said, um, the shift in, in uh, what did you call it, the um, future uh, phases of, 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 of you, you mentioned it, you know, when you said, the speed and pace of time or the speed and pace of change and people's kind of shift in faith of... Faith in institutions, the fourth turning. Yeah, the fourth <clears throat> turning. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if the, if the banks go, if the banks, you know, if it's a layman type disaster in 2008, we were minutes away from the whole financial system collapsing. But, you know, the, the, the government's decided to prop up the banks as opposed to the people. The banks should have been... Those banks that weren't fiscally stable enough should have gone to the wall. And, but, you know, they, they didn't learn any lessons. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, people have made a lot of money the last 10 years. Make 200% or something on US stock markets. It's a lot of cash. Um, how long can people, how long can, can, can the world keep going trying to cover up mistakes though, right? Well, we'll find out over the course of the next few months. Mm -hmm. So if, if stock markets continue to crash... Um, that real wealth factor will be really felt throughout the broader economy. And, you know, add to that people staying at home and not spending and all the yeah. issues you've spoken about with especially small businesses, you know, whether that will um, trigger a bigger um, market reaction and um, will be, remains to be seen. But I think they have a – they all communicate together, the central banks. They have a plan. They'll just spend – it'll be trillions of dollars. There'll be trillions of dollars of printing. You'll see even bigger bubbles and bigger market gaps. Eventually it will all come crashing down, but I'm not too sure whether it's going to be over this or not. Do you think there's any opportunities to be had from this, you know, this, 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 this part at this time in the world? Yeah, for sure. It's one of the great things about capitalism. There's always opportunities to make money and, you know, whether you're selling, whether you're hoarding toilet rolls and flogging them to, uh, people or shorting markets or you know investing in asset classes that you think are going to um, protect you for the future you know whether you decide to take 
physical gold, whether you decide to invest in other precious metals, buying f hard assets like properties, a farm where you can produce your own food, um, you know, a business, you know, whatever the case may be. So there, mm -hmm. there is opportunity, but for the most part, everything's being sold off. It's very hard to make money at the moment unless you've got some pretty good risk management techniques and um, good vision and good knowledge. But yeah, it's. I'll tell you, the one word I've heard more than ever, mm -hmm. which is something I've always been pitching to all my clients, yeah. is business continuity planning. Sure. And. All of a sudden, I'm getting emails about it. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a great opportunity uh, now than ever for me in the risk business to be helping businesses pre-plan. It just all depends on where we go from here, you know. Uh, is it is it too late? Um, definitely not. I mean, it all depends on where we go. But, um, Jono, thank you so much for painting uh, just a different picture on what is going on uh, in the financial markets. And uh, I'm so glad you've got the time. I'm so glad you're uh, <laughs> partially retired at the moment to be uh, <laughs> to be researching really uh, credible sources of information. And I just want to finish off with, so coming back to the, uh, the Oakleys that you're wearing, mm -hmm. um, what's the basis? So a bacteria is captured through the eyes, through... Yeah, so if you know, um, the virus is in the air... Um, if you touch your eyes, you know any other normal day of the week, even with the flu, even with the flu, the normal flu, you can you can catch. Uh, your body will ingest it through your eyes, through your soft tissue. So it's either in your eyes, up your nose, or in your mouth. So this is kind of token without you know without. If someone had it in here, I didn't have a mask on. I'm yeah. still getting it. Sure. Um, but you know even Bolasana, the, the Brazilian president got it yesterday. Oh, right. And so he was in touch with Trump. Him and Tom Hanks and... Tom and Hanks. It's going around, mate. It's, it's here. So we're so we're flying to Perth in a couple of days. So you're suggesting as we're walking through the airport and being on the plane, masks and 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 these uh, and these sunnies that you're... Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, you don't want to take any risks. Protect yourself. It's not worth getting it, especially if you pass it on to your old parents. Um, yeah. And just keep your hands clean, nice and clean. But, I mean, who would know? I mean, I don't even know if I've got it, right? Like, I mean, I'm not... How do you know? Well, like, you might not know for about a week, apparently, um, but then you, you you can still pass it on. But you'd you'd know once you had it. Oh, you'd know. Okay. For sure. I think there's a small amount of people that have it and maybe don't know. Okay, sure. But I think you'd feel something for the most part. You know, you'd have a, a bit of a fever and you'd feel a bit shitty, a bit flu-like, but you might get over it in a day or two. You might not. Who knows? Mm. But you're pretty fit. It's and too much. Too much to not know. Actually, yeah, it's the unknown. That's what's really panicking people. Awesome, mate. Thank Rami, you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, mate. Appreciate Thank you. it. Cheers. Number one. All right. <laughs>